Welcome to EIS Navigator, a podcast for UK venture capital. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. There are many science and technology VC investors, but few invest right at the very start. Oxford Technology is perhaps the longest standing science-based investor in the UK, and director Andrea Maker talks about how to do it. We discuss understanding the science, how to run good validation experiments, and developing management skills in academics. Andrea brings lots of examples in an excellent discussion. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe through all good podcast services or following the link in the show notes. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, then you can email us at inquiries at harmonandco.com. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. So welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Oh, thank you. As usual, we'd like to get to know a little bit more about you. So can you briefly tell us how you became involved in venture capital? Yes, um, not quite sure where where my involvement started. Um, probably could pick this start in a company called CFD. Um, I had organized together with a group of Russian scientists, a British council backed um, three day event bringing Russian technologies over to the UK uh, so that people could license them and, and develop them. And we were approached by an entrepreneur who said, look, why, why do you want to license all these things? Why don't you build companies around them? And he said, I've, you know, I've got some money and we can, you know, we can go and find more money and we should do this. So I'd made a, a long plan about how I was going to earn some money and eventually move across to small companies because I discovered that's where all the fun and interesting stuff happened relatively quickly, or where you could get involved in fun and interesting stuff happening. Rather, and um, so he came along, and I said, "Oh, that's my five-year plan taken care of," <laughs> and I joined him. And uh, for five years, we ran. I was involved in, in running uh, first in, centrally as an analyst, looking at the opportunities and deciding whether we should build companies around them and, and, and back them. And then I went and worked with one company, which went um, terribly wrong. The uh, founder disappeared along oh, yeah. with the prototypes. Having We had just received um, the European Bank for Development and Reconstruction, Reconstruction and Development the first ever venture investment and the founder disappeared with the prototypes. So that was a very rapid learning experience. <laughs> it's not the best um, start. Not the best start, no, no. But um, anyway, we, we went on and, and uh, we found a new technology to put into the company. The company did well for very many years. In the end, it, it died during COVID because uh, an investor who, you know, the company was doing very well, it was developing new battery technology, very light technology, suitable for flight, but um, an investor pulled out during COVID and the company had now built up to the stage where it had a lot of employees. And so as soon as they didn't put the money in, the runway was very short and, and that was it. It just stopped after sort of 10 years, 10 years of work or a bit more than that, 20 years of work. Yes, almost by, by, by that point. Uh, but so, so that, so I worked in that company. Then I went to, I went worked at Oxford for a year as an enterprise fellow, and there met uh, IP to IPO, as it's called then. It's now called IP Group. Uh, I heard that 
one of their physical science people was leaving. I said, well, do you, do you need a new one? And they said, well, let's have, have lunch. And so we we had a, a a quick lunch and they said, yeah, come and visit us in, in, in town. So I went down to London. We got very well and started there and made my first investments there. Again, it wasn't a fund. It was a as an IP group invested off balance sheet, which which made things slightly different to to a fund. Um, but the the principle was find good stuff, invest in it, grow it, find other investors, and and get on with it. And had those very good years until the financial crash came two thousand eight two thousand nine. And from there, I, I then went on helped the Royal Society set up their, or make their first investments, the fund there, Andrew McIntosh, make first investments. I then had a go at running a company myself. We solved a really important problem in recycling. And uh, then the, the 2008 uh, financial crisis caught up with the transport sector and the materials sector that we were working in. And so our process became non-viable. And fortunately, by then, uh, Lucius had I started talking to Lucius about joining him in his uh, at Oxford Technology. And um, so when as as the ship was going down in one place, um, I was able to to step across and um, you know carefully wrap up the the first one. Uh, but step across and we've been investing with Lucius since 2012. And and you mentioned Lucius. We had him on the podcast way back in episode 34, um, yep. which is a really enjoyable episode. So if anyone wants something to go back and listen to, I really recommend that one. But in case anyone hasn't listened to that, do you want to tell us about who and what Oxford Technology are? Yeah, so the, I, I'll try and get make the story short uh, <laughs> it really is but you know Lucius started the first magazine for introducing investors to uh investment opportunities back in 1972 or thereabouts long long way back I may have got the date slightly wrong on that um he then became annoyed that science and technology opportunities never got never seemed to get funding. And he then managed to convince one, uh, a private equity company to give him money to invest in these annoying little companies. Uh, they, they just wanted him to stop, uh, <laughs> stop getting at them. Anyway, they gave him money. He invested, uh, starting with a little company that made plastics, special specialty plastics for pipes. Uh, that was a huge success. And 13 funds later, we're still doing what he was doing, which is investing in companies right from the very beginning. It's all, it's all we do. We invest in them later on as well, but we always start right from the beginning um, because we think there's a real gap there, uh, because we've accumulated experience and knowledge and failures and stories that remind us what to do and what not to do. Uh, and because we think that you know science and engineering is is difficult to to invest in for most people, so that's what we do. We invest right at the very beginning. We we take um, investment from individuals. We make use of SEIS and EIS because they enable you 
to do really adventurous science and technology investment where the rewards can be very high but things often end up at, at zero and the downside protection offered by SEIS and EIS is really good for that and, uh, and I think if people just use it for the for the return of the tax off the initial investment that's a real shame but if you use it to enable you to do stuff that's got really big upsides then that's that's the right thing to do anyway, that's what we what we do and we think that's working quite well for us we're a small team there's there's three of us at the moment uh, there have a few other people who work with us uh, on uh, as as needed but um yeah that's what we do and we do it from on terms we used to be based in oxford but uh, we moved during during covid to to henley and we try to invest mainly in places that are close enough to get to uh with either public transport or our car and and you know, still have for the rest of the day to to get on and do other stuff but um it's very important for us to to really go and see companies close up because you can you can see things and and spot things and talk about opportunities and in a way it's difficult to do if you're if you're remote yeah and i mean in a world i mean we're obviously speaking over teams today yeah. um yeah, in a world that has moved to Zoom or, or you know, a lot more about contract contact, has that changed what you're doing in terms of sort of you? Because you still, have, I think, have the philosophy. There of are close. a few things that are a little further away mm-hmm. um, that we've invested in, but yeah, so one of the more recent things we've invested in is a wonderful company called Revolutionary Concepts. They're in the Lake District, um, and I haven't been up there yet. I'm sure I'll find a good excuse to go and visit them when they, when the weather's nice and the walking's good. But um, they're fantastic. You know, the fantastic company developing extraordinarily efficient compressors. Um, and you know, 10% of the world's energy goes into compressing gas, and they can do it 20 or 30% more efficiently than others. So, there's really fantastic technology. Um, so we really like that. If if it had been a, a company that we thought was, yeah, okay, that we might have invested if they were closer closer to us, you know, there are some companies we wouldn't have invested if they were mm-hmm. that far away uh, because you know, of the amount of effort and work we felt would have might have been necessary. In this case, um, Will Spain, the... This CEO there is is you know fantastic. He's he's got going. He's gone and done stuff, and he reports back about things he's done that we didn't know he was going to be doing. <laughs> and then, you know, good things. You know, yeah. I've signed a contract, or I'm working on a contract here. Of you know, I've gone out and I've got all the bits I need to build this machine. It's it's halfway built, and uh, you yeah, know, moving faster than <laughs> faster than we expected, which is which is very rare uh, in, in this world. There are yes yes things yeah. usually take longer than than expected yeah that optimism uh, bias weighs a little bit in the sense that you know everyone thinks it could happen less like a little quick a bit quicker than it really can yeah that, that's right you you kind of imagine you sort of think well if I, here are all the tasks and and so it takes that long well, i'll allow a little bit of of error uh but the reality is Things tend to pile up unless the entrepreneurs really 
push the race ahead of that. And then sometimes they're able to keep up with what they originally thought. What I wanted to do on today's episode was dig in into a little bit more about how you approach this early stage investing that you you spoke yep. about. And I think probably most people listening and most investors, certainly most fund managers uh, in the EIS space, talk about, particularly when investing technology, sort of the million pound IRR annual recurring revenue is kind of you know the, the ballpark where a lot of people are looking at. And, and one of the reasons is that they can kind of cop out in that if someone's got a million pound of revenue, then customers are buying it. And that, to some extent, validates the product because yeah. it's, um, it sort of sidesteps you know, a lot of issues um, in that, you know, you can't get to a million pound by accident. You can get to maybe 10,000 almost. All right, I've got a mate to yeah, come no, nearby. Absolutely. I can understand why people would, would do that. They yeah. say, well. Um, but you're going, you're going a lot, lot, lot earlier. So absolutely. Um, I, I think the first question I wanted to ask was in terms of validating science, because it seems to me you've got science that may or may not work. Um, to what extent do you look at stuff that works and how do you sort of validate, right, that's a realistic thing that can actually produce a viable product? Well, um, so I guess the things that I like the most are things where when someone tells you what they do, you know, the, the performance, you go, well, with conventional approaches, that's just nonsense. You know, you <laughs> cannot, you know, how on earth could your microscope be nine orders of magnitude more sensitive than the next, the next best one? You go, it's just... You know, that's that seems impossible. And then you and then you look and you know sometimes it's something really simple that enables them to get a nine fold, nine orders of magnitude. You know, that's a difference between you know the width of the hair and the, and the distance of the moon or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's enormous differences. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, they. And then you, you know, once you've seen the, the, you know, the, the trick or the approach they're using, then it all suddenly makes sense. And you can say, OK, and ideally it's something which can be patented. And you go, look, we're the only people that we've we realize this easy, uh, this easy fix. And we're going to use it and nobody else can. And we're going to have a nine order of magnitude advantage over everyone else for the next 20 years thank you very much and typically when you sort of get that sort of is, is it kind of like here's somebody who's an academic and they found this little bit of research and, and they've they've got some academic paper on it or is it a case of you know i mean we've all got this idea of the man in the shed which doesn't really happen anymore um or maybe it does well it it, it can do it's um i mean the some some of the things once you've understood how they work, you realize you don't necessarily need the science laboratory. You know, the science laboratory gives you an opportunity to look into these things and work about work on it and then realize that you know the, the conventional approach is never going to 
work. So you're going to have to do something different. And that doing something different may or may not require a large lab to to actually make it work. Sometimes things need an extraordinary amount of fine tuning or you know need a special instrument to make something work. And that experiment hasn't been done yet, but you could see how it's going to work and why it's going to work. And um, you know, I just I study product design engineering. You know, I, I didn't do any deep science, but you know, the laws of nature are sort of the same for all of us. So once you've got the an understanding of the of the basic principles, sometimes these are, are things that are very obvious. So it'd be a bit like um, you know, the first person to put wheels under a, a suitcase and then say, how far can you carry a very heavy suitcase? You know. The idea of putting wheels under a suitcase is, with hindsight, really obvious. Um, but until someone has done that, you know, no one's going to be able to carry a, a, a hundred kilo suitcase, you know, two kilometres through a, through an airport. Uh, you could do that with wheels, uh, and you could see how it would work. You still got to make them and, and make the attachments, but you can see where it's going to go and if you're the only person who, who can do that then you're going to be at the end of the queue when when you reach when the desk that's opened at the other end of the airport suddenly suddenly opens up so i, I think there's there are some things that are are really clear we we once had uh, someone come to us and say look we've there's some research being done on how viruses protect themselves from the immune system um and they've people have identified a protein that you that viruses make to do this and their proposition to us was we think we can make a better version of that protein that will work really well as a drug to protect against um, runaway immune uh, behavior in, in the body there was now enough you know there was enough evidence that people could improve proteins that was, you know, I didn't, they weren't saying, I'm going to be the first person ever to change a protein. They're just going to say, we're going to use it and we're going to apply it to this protein that a you know, virus has spent three and a half billion years optimizing. Um, so, yeah, we've got someone's spent, or many viruses have spent many, many uh, millions and uh, billions of years actually working to optimize this, this thing. We're just going to make it a little bit better. And in that case, we said, well, why don't we put in a small amount of money, have a go at doing some of the engineering, and we'll see whether we can shift some of the key parameters of this protein from, from uh, something that, you know, if it had been turned into a, into a medicine right away, would have required you know, five, five uh, vaccinations a day or five injections a day, which is kind of impossible to something that would only need one once a week or, or, or once a month. And there were certain basic things that needed to be changed to, to think of achieving that. So we gave them a small amount of money to do an experiment to see whether we could shift some of these properties of the protein. And it did. Maybe they could do it, which in some ways was no great surprise, but no one had worked on that particular viral protein and tried to make it better. Uh, and that's what we what we backed. And then you know they did it very well. It became very well functioning, and then we were very lucky, which is you know, one of the key skills in 
in VC and in life in general, that uh, a big pharma company got interested in the same molecule and did a trial which showed that if you can target a particular pathway, it leads to good outcomes. And that then led to the success of um, a company called Ducentis. It was bought by an American biotech company. Uh, and that was you know, a very successful investment uh, for us. But that, yeah, that's an example where you know, there's someone who understands what can be done. I can read up and see that there exists a capability to change things. And although there's been no experiments done on it so far, you can see where it, where it might go. You have an engineering background. So, yeah, and, and, and you've seen lots of you know, ideas because you, you, you outlined different, different way you were. Here are you now talking about effectively pharmaceutical thing. You know, I, I think if you chat around a lot of the market, people looking to some extent, if you want to understand pharma, you need to be some sort of specialist knowledge. Um, and here you're saying, I'm not a specialist, but I can, I can actually attack this. Um, do you think specialist knowledge is a help or a hindrance sometimes? I can see where it might be a hindrance because people say, well, it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. You know, here are you know, centrifugal compressors invented in 1930-something by, you know, that's, whatever, that's when they were invented. They've been optimised and optimised, and, you know, there was a limit on how efficient they could be. And if someone said yeah, we want to achieve this level of efficiency yeah and they say well no because it's all been it's all been optimized everything's everything's gone so it's not even there's no point even in looking at it if someone tells you that they're just they're just lying <laughs> effectively <laughs> but then you realize actually people had overlooked because at the time when it was invented it just wasn't uh, a relevant problem you know at the time they just wanted something that worked full stop uh, efficiency wasn't really a major issue and so they you know, it had just been overlooked and in fact the people who invented it thought this is once they invented it they said it's so obvious surely someone's invented it before and they went looking and they found that no one had and so they then uh, patented it and then they came to speak to us about backing that so that was very easy. You, know, you just look at the graphs and you can see where the space is for the improvement. And it's very easy to understand. And I think with with some of the pharmaceutical things, again, it's, it is, it's very, you know, Google helps. <laughs> and by, by that, you know, when, when people explain, well, this is where I'm interfering in the pathway, you can then see how and why it would interfere and what the downstream things are. You know, it's not as if I have to invent it or I need to know all the things beforehand. They come and say, Here, here's the issue that I'm tackling. And ideally, it's one that no one has tackled before because then you've got an advantage. And then, you know, they, I mean, there's lots of people who have lots and lots of experience, but they haven't done the experiment either. <laughs> and they haven't looked into this either. And maybe that you know they haven't connected that piece of science with the or that piece of technology with this piece of science before. So I think there's there's you know there has to be a willingness to learn very quickly to ask questions to walk away if it, if it still doesn't make sense. You know the what really worries me is when 
I look at something and it doesn't make sense and and you see people crowding in and you you ask them to explain the bit that you can't understand and they they say oh no but he's a professor or she's a, a this or that and you say but no one seems to be able to explain where this extra bit of thing comes from and you know, smokes and mirrors. We walk away from smoke and mirrors. Yeah, and, and, and it, I, I suppose the tricky thing almost is some of that might be smoke and mirrors, but some of it might will be actually there is a good idea, but if someone can't explain it, maybe they couldn't sell it. Yeah, well, you know, the, 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 there comes a point. You know, there are lots of opportunities. There's, there's still lots of things that the world hasn't done right yet. <laughs> so there's lots of opportunities. And I'm sure that we've walked away from things that, that might have been good. Yeah, yeah. I, but if I think every VC is a whole wall of missed opportunities. Yeah, and, there's, and yeah, the, the people who started a million have walked away from all the ones that haven't reached the million yet. And that's a that's a uh, possibly a very sensible uh, thing. Yeah, that says well, it not only must uh, must the rules of nature agree with your invention, you know, uh, but customers have to also agree. First, just that much later stage and for us you know it's important that whatever we're investing in you can tell that if it works then it will definitely capture the attention of the people you need to to be interacting with because it is so eye-opening such a big change such a such a step forwards in in the world yeah that, that's that's a and you know, in other cases, there are they have done experiments that just show that this works really well. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, okay, well, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll help you. You know, whether it's uh, hire people or set up a company or open a bank account or you know, all, the, all the things you actually need to do to be able to get on and, and do it. But, um, yeah, in terms of. You know, quite often we, we back an experiment and what we're looking for in that case is an experiment that with the money that we have available to make as a first investment, there will definitely be an answer, which may be, may be yes or maybe no. We try very hard to make sure it's not a, well, maybe, mm -hmm. if only yeah. type of answer. And presumably yeah. if, if it's something that requires a million pounds, say, you know, that that's just like, well, that's going to be too big an experiment. Uh, you're looking yes, to invest much smaller amounts. If the first experiment requires a million, then it's it's too big. Or if the second experiment requires fifty million, mm -hmm. that's that's too big. We've seen some nice things where you go, oh, there's just this one experiment. You know, it'll be two hundred thousand pounds to do this experiment, and yeah, you know, all the and you look at it and say, oh, that'd be great. And then you go, what's the next sensible thing you would do? And the next sensible thing is a fifty million pound investment. Well, that's <laughs> that's too big a step for us we can't mm -hmm. we can't really pay and it's probably too big for most people it's it's not too big for everyone but but it's too big too big for us and the kind of the kind of thing we step away from uh, are people who say in order to do this experiment we need to create a team of 10 people and have them working together for a year before we can do the experiment um which there's quite a lot of nowadays um and then the and the reason is if the experiment fails, you then have ten people uh, using money up and resetting. You know, you're, you're going to be running out of money, and 
that first thing's just going to go away and it might work and it you know sometimes sometimes it does but we we try to avoid that we prefer things where there is an experiment that can be done well within the and it doesn't have to be a technical experiment it can be a, a market experiment uh, or a technical plus market experiment so that's kind of testing the commerciality of it as well yeah and and, and you know the reality is only only the customers are going to tell you what it is they they want to buy and they may not even be able to tell you why they just want to buy it well the overall reason is 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 clear so the the latest thing that we've invested in is a device which is you know a one wearable device which helps prevent the worst of uh, hot flushes for menopausal women and so there are two things there one is do the results that they have seen with a relatively small number of of people does that scale can we make the device small and cheap enough and easily manufacturable there's there's that bit there but there's also um will women buy it when it's offered at a price that makes makes it possible for the the company to go ahead and i think i think we will find there's a very ready market for it um but there will be an experimental phase where where we put it out for sale and we'll find out whether whether people buy it or what we need to do you know maybe that people say oh this is all great but it needs to be a different color or it needs to have this feature or it must have that feature whatever it happens to be uh, that that's a good point because i think the challenge where you have an experiment so i i naturally think of you know when, when as a kid decides you have a, a very specific sort of experiment with a very specific outcome um and and in one sense that's a little bit rigid but we know particularly when it comes to commerciality there needs to be room to explore and we, you know we had someone to previously talk about company pivots and whatever um yeah. And and how how do you balance that need for definitive answers versus okay, there's a scope to explore and find, you know, if, if this is a forty percent answer, then you know, we could, we can actually move around to get the eighty percent answer kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, we we had um, one company with a company called uh, Lightpoint, for example, who we were developing a. The first device to enable surgeons to see cancer during operations and they were making use of a process called Cherenkov light Cherenkov radiation so you could you could see the, the light given off by radioactive particles anyway in the ex, well the experiment was to build one so they could then test it on on samples and then eventually on on patients and uh, that was, you know, so early experiments that all looked very good. We then moved on to a later stage. We found that when we used real surgical samples, those real surgical samples were giving off light that no one knew about. No one knew that real surgical samples <laughs> gave off light uh, or meat off a barbecue. If put in a socially dark room, will give off light. And it's just, you know, people did not know this. This was new science. <laughs> light was of exactly the wavelength and the and the decay properties that were extremely similar to that given off by the radiation uh, light 
So in, in that case, the company had to pivot because that method wouldn't have worked in the in the real world. You know, people said, yeah, I know we could do without that particular step in the surgery, which is a cautery that electrocautery that that gives rise to this light. But to be honest, we wouldn't want to. You know, it's just so so convenient. So so there, the requirement was find another way of doing this, and um, you know the company discovered an entirely different way of doing the same thing. Still, still the same fundamental principle. Principle, but instead of tracking light, they then started measuring uh, charge, and they redesigned. And you know the the requirement to do this measurement was so great that it didn't matter that we're going to have to use a slightly different uh, approach. Um, and, and other times we've found it's, you know, it's a commercial uh, pivot, you know, where everyone's very excited about solving a, a problem. Um, so for example, I have a company called Crippable that helps people rehabilitate their hands after they had a stroke. That's the original plan. And and the product will be used for that. But we've found that there is a much more valuable um, attribute of it, which is being able to measure how strong someone's hand is and track whether they're able to move and whether they're able to to track movements with their eyes and things like that. It's just much more valuable to the medical community um, than the being able to recover the the use of, of a hand, which is seems in, in, incredible because surely recovering the use of a hand is is almost the most important thing that there is. So, and it may well be to the patient. <laughs> and it will be to the patient. But if you can tell that someone is declining rapidly and unexpectedly, and you can intervene before that happens, that can be worth, you know, a hundred thousand dollars for for one patient. Um, which, which is, um, you know, and people say, well, fine, we will pay to make sure that we can spot when people are are going downhill quickly, and you know, your your tool is able to do everything. We'll back that. And you know, so sometimes, sometimes that happens where you you know you thought your product was going to do this, but actually it turns out the thing that everyone's really excited in is is something different. So you know that, that's 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 one one case, and I think they will do very well, mm -hmm. and they will make the device available for people who want to recover the use of their hands. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there there are. There are those um, things, and in you know, that case, the original experiment was let's see whether we can manufacture one in a reliable fashion, because uh, we get yeah, this. The principle there was a, a rough and ready prototype, and that obviously did what it needed to do. But could it be manufactured in a way that was reliable, that was uh, manufacturable? And so we backed that, and there it went. That over time, we found that the the real pivot came from something else which was where are people willing to to pay most money most quickly in order to to get it on yeah yeah it, it's it's kind of interesting seeing sort of some of the some of these examples where um you know that interaction of sort of science commerciality because i, I think you know there's that the classic phrase in the market about sort of solutions looking for a problem 
Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, think of it, thinking of that, we have a company called Polycat that has this uh, incredible ability to create extremely well-sized controlled uh, metal particles on on the surface of polymers. They're all the same size. They're all spaced out beautifully, and, and it's great for catalysts and, and things like that. And so we 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 invested in that and. Uh, almost immediately COVID came along and everyone became very interested in uh, surfaces that were antimicrobial, antibacterial. And so the company then developed that and we have a surface that, you know, deals bacteria and viruses incredibly quickly and incredibly effectively. Um, and so, you know, that was great. Um, but in the meantime, the world has produced so much PPE equipment <laughs> that no one wants to produce any PPE equipment. There are just stores of it everywhere. There are mountains of it. <laughs> that doesn't surprise And no one wants any new PPE equipment because there's just whether you know it doesn't matter that you have to throw your PPE, your 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 cover away every day. Uh because there's a mountain of it where you can just go and get it. Now it's you know terrible from sustainability point of view. But anyway, that that capability um turned out to be uh you know it works functionally it works extremely well but then people who are interested in protecting against nasty stuff uh realized this and asked whether we could solve a problem of degrading um chemical weapons and it turns out that very smart people given this this idea of how to create these these small particles could make something that help degrade chemical weapons. And there are a lot of chemical weapons left over from the Second World War uh, in Britain and abroad. You know, they, they find 100, 100 things like that a year in the UK. Uh, and someone's got to tidy, tidy them up. And, uh, well, most people don't want to have anything to do with it. So you know, they have now developed um, a piece of kit using the fundamental uh, science, same fundamental approach that enables these things to be dealt with um, very neatly, very quickly. And um, that company's now doing very well. Uh, well we, yeah, we expect it to do extremely well from, from next year once they, the, uh, the testing has been finalized with the good players. But that's the, the fundamental size being redeployable in, in a number of, of places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess that... Well, you may have an idea in mind or a prospect in mind, presumably that gives you a bit of comfort that there are options if you've got something that only works in one circumstance. One or very specific very, thing. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that, that presumably is, is less attractive. Uh, yeah. I mean, unless the thing is not going to go away, you know, if, yeah. And then sometimes something pops up out of nowhere and solves a problem that's been around for a long time and it's, you know, they take away the problem you were hoping to solve, and and if that happens, well, that's that's just very bad luck. Yeah, yeah. With the best will in the world, I think that can happen to any company where someone just comes along with a fundamentally better solution. Yeah, a completely different angle takes the problem away entirely, rather than solving it or whatever. So we, we yeah we do try to look at the overall scheme of of things and understand why you know why there are problems and why people might not buy it despite it solving a 
a real problem. I mean, an example of this, I'm, it's a story that comes up many times of a, a Cambridge company that Lucius invested in long before I was there, but I would have backed it because it was wonderful. His uh, guide developed some optics that enabled you to determine with one, one photograph whether a mole was a melanoma, a skin cancer, dangerous type of skin cancer or not. And it was just extraordinarily effective. Uh, you know, somewhere up in 90, high 90s percent of um, specificity. So you know, it would it would tell you for certain whether it whether something was, and and it wouldn't. It would, all, it would be sensitive and specific, and um, but the product just never sold. And for a long time, I thought it was all down to the the fact that you know, dermatologists. Who would only, you know, only one in five of the moles they removed would turn out to be melanoma. You say, oh, you could save all of those, those operations, and often, and, and about forty percent of melanomas went unspotted. You know, so it was, um, you know, there's real room for improvement there. We thought, well, yeah, of course, someone's voting. Would you like to buy this expensive camera in order to not be able to do the operations where you earn most of your money? <laughs> yeah, and, so you know, no, no, thanks. I'd rather <laughs> lots of money and. Yeah. But over. But yeah, give give with most of them a fairly probably fairly minor operation. There's probably not something. Yeah. That... It then occurred to me afterwards that the patients quite often want would prefer to have a mole removed to find out whether it's melanoma, whether it's a melanoma or not. You know, a mole might be uncomfortable or unsightly or occasionally bleeds or gets caught caught on stuff so if you could just take it off and go and check whether it's melanoma in the meantime i've got rid of the the mole that's an issue and having a a super 3d picture of that isn't going to change <laughs> isn't going to make it any better yeah. or not yeah you know, i don't need that and so you know sometimes it's it seems that the problem is one thing but really turns out to be another thing but that's a, that's an example of you know experience you you build up over time and it so now when we're looking at medical things or other things as well you you really we look with with more care maybe as to who was who in the decision process is not going to benefit from from the solution you know it solves a whole bunch of you know if there are sufficient people who who are impacted in a way that is not positive for them maybe they stop earning money maybe it it uh you know you stop producing a side product which actually is useful for something else then you you really take that into account in in making those decisions and you sort of alluded a couple of times sort of founders and i think one of the challenges i sometimes think about is that the stereotypical thing in this space is the st founders quasi or an actual academic who has got a or, or at least someone who has a deep expertise in a technical way but that doesn't necessarily make them a great company founder or you know particularly when it comes to like something like sales or marketing or even you know, the basics of running a company um yeah. you know how, how do you sort of balance that um well I mean, there's there's two things. You know, one of one of our very best CEOs started off being a professor in Cambridge, then became a professor in Oxford, which we would have thought was sufficient to say that definitely an academic. <laughs> but, 
but when his when the company that had been formed to do stuff that had become you know, road work for him in the lab, but lots of people wanted it done. So you know, so I don't want my my research group doing it because, but lots of people wanted it done. Yeah, you know, the first CEO, it was, you know, it was time for him to move on. hadn't really done very well, and and so we looked carefully and said, well, what skill sets do we need? And went down the list of skill sets and said, well, actually, I think I've got those skill sets. I'd like to have a go. And it turned out that he did have those skill sets, and he was extremely good. And the company did very well, and he's since done very well in a, in a number of other companies. Um, I mean, there's there's that bit. So you know, it's it's uh, academics can be good at many many uh, aspects of this, but sometimes they just want to stick to doing what they're doing, which is which is fine. Um, so for us, it's important that if we if we get invested, uh, you know person to start it may be that initially what's required is a very technical thing to do um we'll try and assess whether they are open to to making sales because in reality the one thing that all companies needs is is sales whether it's sales to investors whether it's sales to uh to research partners whether it's sales of individual products to someone to buy them you know it really is really is um, very, very important. But the, the, the key thing for us is whether the person realizes that um, or is open to the fact that they may find out that they're not good at something and whether they're willing then to find someone else and let them do the things that they don't like. So it's kind of luxury. If you start your own company, it's one, one of the one of the luxuries is eventually, once you've got enough money and you've grown enough, you can hand over the things you don't like doing to someone who likes doing them and is is good at them. Actually, your company gets better when you do that. And um, you know, Polycap example, the the one that with the you know the solving the chemical weapons thing. The the founder said, "Look, let's be very clear. I'm I'm a researcher. I don't want to be selling anything to anyone." Uh, but fortunately, we we found, or this person who introduced us said, "Well, maybe I can help out with that aspect." And he has, and he's done very well. But even he's now saying, "We now need someone who's even better at sales than, than I am. I, I'd like to bring someone in to do to to do that." And um, you know, so that company is is going to do very well. Yeah, it's that cliche: you need to hire yourself out of a job, in a sense, as the CEO. That's right. As a, you hire yourself out of all the jobs. That someone else would do better than than you, or, or allow you to focus in on on particular skills. And we have some some people who say, "I want to grow my company into a you know large company with lots of people because I like lots of people. And I want to interact with them." And there's others who say, "No, we're going to keep doing very specific thing of designing these items, but I have no desire of setting up large sales organisations to sell these items." Or manufacturer want to, you know, provide that to someone else. Get them doing it. They can, you know, they can give us the, the margins. They'll they'll make most of the profit on that item. But I can get on and do it, you know, five times over, and, and we'll end up in a much better uh, position. And so we get people with very different uh, desires, and we try and get that, try and get a sense of what they'd like to do in the beginning. 
and then that you know so often that changes but you know sometimes it doesn't people stick to their original idea and um it's easier if if they do because you don't have to okay. change your mindset <laughs> yeah. but it, but you know sometimes you just you know people realize oh i do have a real real skip i mean one of the things is that we have found quite a lot of um founders try to avoid dreaded sales discussions mm-hmm. but when they actually when they actually sell and they see someone using their product or being appreciative of it they say oh actually that's really rather nice i think i might do that again i might uh, yeah. go and and see someone you know his eyes light up because it solves a, a real issue for them or, or opened up an opportunity and you know we, we have had uh, some some founders who've gone from oh i'd really rather shy away from that and i'll, I'll just make the product better so that mm-hmm. i don't have to talk to anyone when it's ready <laughs> they'll just use it and i'll never have to talk to them too oh actually this is really fun you know my my users are knowledgeable people who have you know posed me interesting problems i can go and solve oh, i think i might do that it's uh very re- rewarding when that happens yeah i can imagine that that mixture of the founder will have a passion that perhaps other people might not have for it, which I think might be yeah. you know, positive in a sales process. But as you say, in a situation, particularly in early stage companies, where you're getting feedback and you say setting the challenges, setting new problems, oh, yes, that's interesting. Can I solve that problem? That might actually be very stimulating for them as well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And anyway, people, people discover. And then the key thing is that they hand that they find people who are more more uh, used by those things than they are if if they're not and you know when when that works works very well so you've been kind of doing this for some time um not probably not as quite as long as lucius but you've been doing it a while not quite not quite as long as lucius <laughs> how do you see sort of trends having evolved over the sort of the last few years and maybe you know one eye and looking forward a little bit about what you have other things that you see have come and gone or or sort of areas that are particularly interesting well i mean there is the i'm just trying to you know that you have trends where everyone is doing it and everything comes with a label attached to it and i guess at the moment that's probably ai everything's got ai attached to it um i must say that the that there was a two or three year phase where ai was attached to things in the most ludicrous of of fashions yeah, someone would have invented something really useful that had no no benefit of having AI attached to it, but they would make a big deal of AI connected to it. Yeah. So we yeah, we steered away from that. But we had a yeah, we went through the period that everything had to be uh, you know, very long long time ago, everything had to be a dot com and then everything had to be in the cloud and then everything had to be blockchain and then everything had to be and we've over time we've been pretty good at avoiding those things where the, the you know the just trying to stay away from them um you know with ai we we've, i like to joke that uh, we resisted for a long time and in the end we made an ai investment in and it was uh, artificial insemination uh, so <laughs> it was different it was a different ai uh, and that company hasn't quite yet added AI into its analysis of of the, in the artificial intelligence. It probably will. And after that, we have made a few investments into AI where we felt that 
companies had a really outstanding contribution to make in in the field. So we've got machine discovery and we've got Digilab and um, you know Digilab is growing extremely quickly. Machine discovery is again uh, very very similar. They both had very specific advantages over others in the field in in what they're doing. And um, you know, I think they'll do very well for us. Um, but we, you know, when everyone's running in one direction, we tend to run in the other direction because if you've only got a little bit of money, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to keep ahead of a crowd if they're all going after the same objective in the same way. Whereas if you find some you know direction that no one is running in, and you you they they bring it to your attention that this is a really good direction to be running in, and you've got some special fence that you can put up to stop others following you, then it doesn't really matter if you if you have to stop and catch your breath and do your shoelace up and you won't get trampled over and left behind. And you know, that's really what we're what we're looking for. Um, it also reduces the amount of of um, you know, scientific. We we're talking about this at the beginning. Scientific due diligence you might need to do because they just aren't. There just isn't anyone else who's done this, and therefore you, you know it's not a matter of oh, is this one slightly better than someone else's? For which you do need really deep sector expertise because you have to be able to understand all of the aspects of it and and weigh them off one against the other. But if you're the only person doing it, or you know one of two and uh, then it's it's uh, a, a lot easier. Um, the thing that's scary for for many people, it seems, is believing that someone could possibly be heading on their own in a direction that no one else is in, and and for that to be the right direction to head in. There is comfort in crowds sometimes. Which... There is comfort in crowds, but there's you know, it's not necessarily where all the uh, where all the goodies are. Yeah, well, we know how the dot com bubble your, ended. Your chance of getting your chance of getting at the goodies. Maybe maybe significantly smaller. So that, that's you know that that for us is something that is really important. Where go, looking for something where others aren't aren't looking or doing so in a way that is really different from the way that other people are are doing it. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a line of thinking in venture capital that if you're making kind of consensus investments, then almost by definition, outperformance is very hard to achieve because you're seeing something that everyone else is seeing and, and you, you know you can only really make the best returns by doing something that is different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, it is so, so appealing. It looks so appealing because, you know, the government is putting 200 million behind that sector, so there's money for everyone. And that means you can run your company in that direction. But then, you know, Lots of people run after it, and again, if you doesn't really chime with with not being the people with the most money to be able to move fastest to the largest scale. It's not what we do. We we try and we try and stay away from it. Occasionally, we're tempted, but uh, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're finding plenty of opportunities elsewhere, so you don't necessarily yeah, there, feel there you are, have to. There are plenty of plenty of, of problems to solve. Yeah. What I'd like to do now is move on to our favourite questions. So we'll throw these at you and we'll get your brief answers. I think the first one you maybe answered. Uh, so what's the most recent public announcement investment you made? So you think yeah, you referred to one earlier. Celsius Innovation, uh, helping to solve the problem of 
hot flushes for uh, menopausal women. And there are other things that they will be able to do with the technology, but that's given it it will concern at least half the population and, and indirectly most of the population. I really think that's a, a big enough area to, to tackle and they've got a, an interesting way of doing it. Okay, that's excellent. Um, so in the classic VC triumvirate of market product and management, we know they're all important, but which for you is the most important? Um, I... It's the in, it's the interaction of, to me, it's the interaction of product and market. Okay. You know, because on its own, it's of no, neither of those are of, of at all of, of use. It's the interaction. It's how the product affects the market that is what, uh, you know, then, I mean, you've you know, got to get on with the people and they've you've <laughs> got to enjoy working with them, et cetera, et cetera. But the, um, yeah, we're, we're not just hiring individ special individuals with no idea of what they want to do and and backing with okay that's a, that's an interesting nuance um tell us about a time you failed and what you learned from it yeah we've got a company called Adgentis, and that went wrong because uh there was a yeah the, the person who who invested in that was a, a real industry expert really knew about antibiotics probably you know as much as as anyone else in the uk and he his aim was to develop a, an antibiotic in such a way that it would hit two things at the same time and you know that way it's really unlikely to for bacteria to be able to evolve away from being hit by it and he was working on it and it turned out that those two things that were considered to be completely separate were actually linked. Oh. <laughs> and so the moment he saw that, he said, that's it, um, we're not doing this anymore. And the, the learning was, it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And so in this case, science turned up that no one knew about beforehand. It's a bit like, like the uh, you know, light point before where no one knew that, that uh, meat off a grill would light up if you put it in a darker room like enough room. nobody knew that nobody knew this and it and we failed and uh, the learning was that it's it's okay to do that it's okay to back something for a good reason um even if you fail for for an, uh, uh, another reason and the reality was the cost to the investor was really small because SEI, it was an SEIS investment, so half of the uh, money came back in terms of tax breaks to begin with, and then the rest uh, was, uh, you know, 40% of the rest came back off people's income things. So it was worth it, and, and you know, other investments alongside that did, did well. But, um, yeah, I think that was quite a good, quite a good uh, yeah. Is it unusual to get the sort of founder who would do that because – it must be really tempting to say, I've got this idea for this antibiotic. I could develop it and still make a reasonable drug. We can have work. another go and we can have another go. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that was, that was the where, you know, it failed extremely quickly. And that's mm -hmm. a useful, well, it, you know, it took a while because the science of, of the two things being linked took a while to, to come out. The results were all looking really good. But the moment he spotted that, he said, ah, no, I, I understand uh, you know, we've we've been chasing the, the wrong the wrong target, and it, it, 
there are others where you think, oh, it's sinking. Well, maybe if we paddle a bit harder, we're going to avoid, avoid sinking. And, and that, that's, that's, that can be painful. But sometimes you can get last minute turnarounds. So, let's say, so you, know, you shouldn't give up until it's, uh, until, until you you're sure it's wrong. But no, no, it's difficult figuring out when to step away. But we like, we tend to, we like things where it's it's black and white, whether it's succeeding or not. And this, um, this presumably comes back to this experimental idea we were speaking about earlier, where yeah, you've done an experiment that gives a yes or no rather than a grey. And you know, the world says, no, look, we're just not interested. Okay, well, you really are going to have to change something because they're not interested in, in what, what you're offering uh, or the way we're, we're presenting it. So we really are going to have to try something really different with the bit of money we have left to, to, to make it work. So the EIS industry that we work in is great in many ways, but it's not perfect. Is there anything you would change about it? Yes, there is. There's there's one thing I would change, and um, it is to change the the tax breaks on the EIS and the you know, SEIS and EIS, so that it doesn't only encourage you know the um, investors doesn't encourage investors to encourage the management of the company to sell out you know at the moment the exit is the only way really that you know if you if you decide to to you know you, you decide to grow the company and pay dividends well you're you know 60% down on on the money you might get in just in terms of taxation and so well let's just sell it to someone else and then it you know Often it goes overseas, and and that's a real, real pity. I I think you know, we've got a number of companies that will will do very well. Um, fortunately, in that case, both the investors and the founders say, "Well, it doesn't matter that we're we're going to be paying out uh, a lot of tax, but we think there's real real benefit to the company growing and remaining a becoming a, a dividend paying company." I just like to make it. Like it to be just slightly more attractive for companies to remain UK based. Although I'm Italian, I, I still think <laughs> I still think yeah, we're 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 putting um, people's and the government's money to work to create things, and it's a shame if they then just go off overseas. And I'd like to see it change so it encourages things to remain here because of the of you know the backing they've had early on yeah I, I when the government did its review around the painting capital we did a submission and one of the things i submitted was an idea about preserving cgt relief on secondary sales which i think would have made um yeah could, se- encourage the secondary market and and then do something along the lines of what you yeah. were suggesting there it's um anyway there you go uh at some point, at some point, SEIS and EIS didn't exist, and then they did. So there's always there's always hope that uh, yes, we always want more anyway. Yeah. So as regular listeners know, I'm an avid reader, always looking out for suggestions. So are any books out there you like and really would recommend? Yeah, I'm. If you haven't read this, I'd be surprised if you haven't read this because uh, it's such a good book. <laughs> it's uh, um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Philip Kahneman. And uh, Daniel Kahneman. That, that, sorry, Daniel Kahneman. That's right. Philip. Uh, that, that's right. It's a wonderful book. It's the 
I think it's the antidote to business books where you know, business books, you get one idea and the book this thick and that's just packed of years and years of research about how people tick and how they how they behave and and it's all so relevant to to what we do. Uh, everything from negotiation, not believing your own nonsense. Uh, yeah, fantastic book and I have I have read it, but it's, I'm just thinking it's probably a long time ago. Yeah, now. absolutely um, worth rereading. And it's a, a bit like we had a professor when I was studying product design who would try to tell us about the philosophy of of product design and how to understand uh, requirements documents. And he said the problem is when I tell people about it beforehand. They don't understand why what I'm talking about and why it's relevant. And if I he says when we why we try to, to have it at the end of the course, people complain bitterly that we didn't tell them this beforehand because it really <laughs> made made a huge difference. And I think with uh, Daniel Kahneman's book with Thinking Fast and Slow, it it deserves dipping back into and re refreshing your mind occasionally because something will have happened that then makes it all yeah. even more relevant and you go all mm. oh, right yeah I, I really ought to to, to look yeah. at that it, it's kind of like that do moment exactly uh, over and over again and it, you know, the thing i thought was wonderful is of course he wrote the book he, he dedicated all his life to doing research where he saw someone doing something which he regarded as really daft but recognized that he did exactly the same thing and he wanted to understand it, it, yeah. why why not only he but the other people also did these daft things uh yeah yeah the, it, it, the fact is by all the, we're kind of all programmed that way and i mean he, he talks about i think he does talk about i can't represent that book or somewhere else but he talks about this idea where people think because they know about these things suddenly they think they're immune to them yes and and and, and it's not you're not <laughs> no, there's there's one of the things he, he says in the book about um you know things in bold are just much more believable than things that are not <laughs> <laughs> just because you can read them more clearly we had a, a presentation recently by one of our companies that had so much good news uh -huh. on the scientific front this company called mito rx which is is seriously they have a problem of not figuring it not being able to figure out which of the many diseases that they can tackle with their thing they can tackle they've had so much good good news that all the graphs you know, to get the graphs in, the, the graphs are tiny. And then there was mm -hmm. one one slide that end, had ended up on its own with that graph just filling the whole screen. <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, immediately it struck me, oh, this one, this one's much more impactful than all the others. And, then, and it, wasn't, <laughs> it was just big and you could see it really clearly. Yeah. And uh, as a good old Daniel, he would have told us to put it in bold and yes. have the big graph. Yes. Yes, availability heuristic or something. So what do you wish you knew when you started venture capital that you know now? I think that is a really tricky thing to, to answer because, I mean, there's lots of things, you know. First of all, just you know, go and read Daniel Kahneman's book. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's all the things I wanted to know before I started. Um but they wouldn't have made sense to me or many of them wouldn't have made sense to me until I'd encountered them. And I, you know, we, we love to back 
people who are doing things for the first time. It doesn't matter if they're younger or old, really. Um, you know, people tackling new new stuff, and we I often get young people asking, you know, saying, "I want to come and be a a VC." You know, should I do it? And I go, "Well, you've you've got to go and and, and accumulate experience because it's it's accumulation of experience that is what it's all that makes all the difference." You know, just and it so it's not one thing or one approach or or whatever it's see it's that there are you know certain things i talked about you know the, the product market fit and the, the way systems interact and all that, that that's kind of fundamental but it then comes down to just having lots of little bits of knowledge and you can combine and connect and and stick together so i'm afraid you know it I me mean, i love what i do so I guess knowing that I would continue to love doing it would be would have been I don't know, it would have been handy. Uh but uh yeah, there, there isn't anything really that I go, oh if 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 only you know this, you know, listen to this and you'll be be set up. Well it's you know, stick at it for years and years and years and years and years and you'll you should find that you, you become more and more effective as you go along. No, I, I, I've got sympathy. I'm thinking, I'm thinking from my own experiences as a fund manager, where you, you would say always be careful about li- listening to company management, but until somebody actually effectively lies to you and you lose money on the back of it, you learn that viscerally in a way that the, no matter how many times someone's put in your ear, you know they can say it a hundred times, and maybe it's a bit like your lecturer a little while ago. You know that that experience just says right, okay, this is real in a sense that you know a dozen bits of advice never would. I mean, having said that, you know we've had people, we've had uh, well, actually a, a great number of people who've come and and worked with us, and within a year we're contributing fantastically uh, to to the companies because they all had. Yeah, they all had their own special skills, and they, you know, we encourage people in our company you who know, join our company to deploy what they're good at as much as they can. You know, every company we work with, if you if you found some special skill and you know those companies need it, go and go and help them do that. And so you can contribute a lot, but it's you know it it, it all adds up over time, and you know I I keep learning stuff from Lucius all, you know, all the time. So. I've heard most of the stories many times, but, but <laughs> every uh, now and then a new one pops out, you, does it? Yeah, you, know, you, you just come across something new in a new situation. You go, mm-hmm. okay, I can deploy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. So, if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing off the technology, where should they go? Uh, well, they can go to our website. We try to be extremely uh, clear, extremely open, have everything out there so you'll see all of our companies all the ones that failed in as much detail as we can we can prop so there's a lot there but you know somehow sorry there's 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 too much um but you know feel free to contact us our contact details are there we'd happy to understand what what people are are doing we're happy to learn and change what we do so uh website www.oxfordtechnology.com and from there, you know, find our contacts and, and, and speak to us. Great. Well, we'll post a link in the show notes. And thank you very much for coming on, Andrea. Really enjoyed chatting to you. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Andrea. Whether an investor or founder, understanding the process of how a company can get going effectively is really important. And Andrea brought lots of insights. As usual, you can get full show notes with links at harmonico.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on all good podcast services and players or through the link in the show notes. If you like what you hear, please give us a review with lots of stars in your favorite podcast app. We can be contacted at inquiries at harmonico.com. Thanks for listening. I will be back in two weeks time.